may be seated. We're going to start the message with a video once uh, he gets it up there. Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts-Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Okay, there's some happy people, huh? Some, yeah, some happy people. feel a little guilty showing it now after the prayer concern this morning, but uh, so well illustrates what happiness looks like, right? Uh, and this morning we're continuing our message series, Chasing Ap- After Happy. And we've been, deti- we've been talking about the desire that we all have to be happy in life, to rise above life circumstances, the wins and losses in life, and have a more consistent kind of joy. And, you know, we all want to be happy, and but happiness can sometimes be as elusive as a win in football, and we can look for it in all the wrong places. So today we're talking about the myth of more. The, the myth of more. And maybe you've noticed that when you're not happy, um, there's often this feeling inside that something is missing. And the thought is, if I could just figure out what that thing is and get that or more of that, then I would be happy. So we set out to get more of something. And that thing can be money. Uh, it might be stuff, an a- ATV, uh, ATV, SUV, an MP3 for your iPad, your iPad, your iPhone, or all three, right? Uh, snowmobiles, be it, uh, video games, power tools, a new RV, another gun, a set of golf clubs, more clothes, more jewelry, kitchen appliances, or whatever it is, you know? But it doesn't have to be stuff. Uh, maybe for you... If you could just travel more, or see more, or if, uh, uh, for you it might be if you could be more, if you could be more popular, more beautiful, more respected, more appreciated, then you would be happy. Or you would be happy if you just had more, you know, had more friends, had more time, had more energy, had more education, more children, more attention, more applause more success, more recognition. When you're unhappy, it feels like something is missing. And we try to fill the void with something more. And it might be stuff. It might be an ego boost. It might be food or falling back on an addiction, you know, just one more drink, just one more look, just one more bite or one more scoop, 
and, and I'll be happy again. You know, we were at Culver's on our, our date night, and I ordered a red raspberry sundae with hot fudge. And <laughs> when I ordered, I intended it to be just one scoop. But when the cashier read it back, you know how they do? Uh, she read it back. She said, one hot fudge, red raspberry sundae, two scoops. And I didn't correct her. <laughs> I said, yes, that's right. <laughs> because if one scoop is good, two scoops is better, right? <laughs> The myth of more is the belief, and, and you know whether we recognize it or, or not that we believe it, is that more will make us happy. And the truth is that the happiness that we get from more of anything is only temporary. God didn't design us to pursue more things. He designed us to pursue him and his life. And, and when we line up our lives with his design and live in the way that he designed us to, to live, then we will have joy, peace, and happiness um, that we are really seeking. So in your message notes, if you want to pull those out, we're going to look at some ways to do that as we talk about three ways to overcome the myth of more. But the first thing that we can do uh, to overcome this belief that more is going to make us happy is, number one, realize that no thing will give you lasting happiness. Nothing, no thing will make you happy. No club membership, no trophy or certificate of achievement, no boat, goat, coat, or brownie. You know, even if it's the cheesecake, chocolate, double chocolate ones, no possession is going to give you lasting happiness. I was talking with a friend uh, several years ago who was going through a divorce. And not only did he have the pain of the divorce, uh, but he was in a financial mess. And he said that he realized that he had been unhappy in his marriage uh, for many, many, many years. And whenever he felt that emptiness, that unhappiness, then he would go and buy something. And, and the something was usually something expensive, you know, a new lawn tractor, a cottage at the lake, a, a boat to go skiing, you know, a crossbow with all the equipment that goes with that. And he found himself in a financial mess trying to mask the pain of a relational mess. And instead of trying to fix the relationship, he tried to fix the pain with more stuff. And the problem is that no thing made him lastingly happy. Pretty soon the happiness of the last thing would wear off and he would be looking for something more. And, you know, I want to make sure everybody understands that I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with buying stuff or having things. You know, we all need clothes to wear and a car to drive, and it's okay to enjoy recreational equipment and trips and two-scoop red raspberry <laughs> ice cream sundaes. But the danger is that when we try to fill the void with more of anything, when we try to find happiness in things, then we'll run amok. And we need to know why we're buying, saying, doing, eating this thing. Uh, is it a quest for happiness at the expense of some greater goal? 
like working on your marriage or expanding the kingdom of God? Or is it to fill an emptiness? Is it to fill an emptiness or to fulfill a purpose? Nothing, no thing will make you lastingly happy. But the Bible talks about something that we can cultivate that is a foundation for a lasting happiness, and that's contentment. And contentment is essential to overcoming the quest for more. So the second way that we overcome the belief that more will make us happy is to cultivate contentment in our life. Cultivate contentment. Paul says this about contentment in 1 Timothy 6.6, and this is our memory verse, so let's read it together. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6. Threw you off. I forgot to put the 1 Timothy up there. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. And when we seek great gain, uh, we often seek it in things, things that we think will make us happy. But Paul says that great gain is found in two conditions, two conditions of the heart, godliness and contentment. He goes on in verse 7 then with this reminder. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take no thing out of it. But there is a way to experience great gain in this life, and that's godliness with contentment. Contentment is the foundation for experiencing a more lasting kind of resilient happiness and joy. Uh, Here's the Holman Bible Dictionary for contentment. It says it's an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. So it's an internal satisfaction, a satisfaction that fills that void that we feel when we're unhappy. It's an internal satisfaction that doesn't demand that changes in our external circumstances in order to find happiness and joy and peace and and all those things in God. And what we really need is contentment. But it's 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 not something that just falls into our lap. It's something that we have to cultivate and encourage and nurture in our lives. So very quickly I want to give you three ways, three steps that we can take to cultivate contentment in your life. And, and of course, all of this is connected to gratitude, right? I mean, we talked about this last week. If you, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to, to the uh, uh, MP3, whatever it is, online. But contentment begins with great, being grateful for what you have. But then I want to look at some ways that we can cultivate contentment. The first is to avoid the comparison trap. Um, and this is kind of a little bit tricky because comparison is part is natural part of our life. We improve by comparing ourselves uh, to others, people who are better than us at sports or art or whatever it is that we're trying to learn. We watch them, we imitate them, and we get better and we improve. Uh, the Bible says we're to imitate Christ and, and to follow him, look at his life and live the way that he did and to compare ourselves with him and to, and to try to um, follow in his ways. But there's a difference between comparing to imitate and comparing to judge ourselves. Uh, when you compare yourselves up, huh? That went a long ways. 
<laughs> if it was a competition, here, I'll, I'll take it back to him. If it was a competition, I mean, let yours go, Bill. Let's see if you can get it. <laughs> oh, Leah threw it. Okay. Okay. That explains some things. <laughs> All right. Go, Leah. All right. I, remem- I have no remem- memory of where we are. All right. Okay. All right. There's a difference between compare, comparing ourselves to imitate someone and comparing ourselves to judge ourselves. And when you compare up, when you c- compare yourself with people uh, who do better than you, and you come away feeling like I'm a loser, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm just no good, or, or those kinds of things, then that leads to discontentment instead of contentment. And to cultivate contentment. You need to avoid the comparison trap. Don't compare. Don't compare your stuff. Don't compare your looks. Don't compare your income. Don't compare. Um, because a jealous person is never happy a person, right? Have you ever seen a happy, jealous person? <laughs> no. And the Apostle Paul gives these instructions in Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. But je- jealousy causes us to do th- do the opposite. We mourn. When others are rejoicing because uh, they did better than us. They got more attention than us. Their thing is growing more than ours or whatever. And on the flip side, we rejoice when others fail because now we look good by comparison. Comparison doesn't lead to contentment. It leads to a desire for more of something. Looks, money, talent, whatever, that will help us to measure up. So the, the second way to cultivate contentment, then, is to watch your thought life. Watch your th- thought life. It's hard to be happy with who you are in Christ and content with your life and what you have if your thought life is negative and critical and self-defeating. And I was thinking about this and an example of it, and I, I was thinking about the navigation system on your car. Um, how distracting it can be. I, I was coming home from annual conference in June, and I programmed my car to get me home. But you know how you can choose the fast or the scenic, or you know when there'll they'll be like three routes, and I pushed the wrong button. So it wanted me to go down 131 through Kalamazoo and across 94 and home that way, and I wanted to go 96 to 66 and home that way. So. I'm going down 96 while it's telling me, turn around, do a U-turn. Every time I came to any exit or anything, it was saying, take the next exit, turn right, do a U-turn, go back left. And it was trying to get me to go down 131. And it was just like, and and the traffic's really heavy, so I don't have time to like, you know, push the scenic route or whatever it is that you have to do. And I was thinking, you know, if we're headed to a destination to a party or a meeting or a date, and all along the way our navigation system is urging us to turn at the next door and get a nicer outfit because nobody's going to like the one that you have on, you know, or um, they're going to laugh at you, or if it urged you to stop and trade in your car telling you that, you know, your date isn't even going to want to get in that old beater, or if it told you to do a U-turn, you know, and 
and just go back home because nobody's going to want to hear what you have to say at that meeting anyway. Can you imagine having a navigation system like that? You would, you would shut it off or hit it with a hammer or something to, to stop it. Yet we allow that kind of inner talk in our minds uh, all the time, that, that kind of thought life, that negative um, speaking into our life like that. So we need to cultivate contentment by avoiding comparison, watching your thought life, and then the, the third thing, know that Christ is enough. You know, it's not realistic to think that we'll be happy all the time. We go through seasons of life that are hard, and, and we hurt. But we don't have to get stuck there. We have a God who is pro-joy. And Jesus talked about joy the night that he was crucified. He wanted his disciples to be filled with the joy that he had and talked about, even in the face of his own death. And it's a joy that we can have in the midst of our circumstances because we have something better than perfect circumstances. We have Jesus. And Paul said that the secret of contentment, he talked about it in Philippians 4. He was writing to the church at Philippi after they had sent him a gift to help support his ministry. And he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Let's say that together. I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Have you ever asked somebody how they're doing and they said, well, okay, considering the circumstances, under the circumstances, you know? And Paul says we aren't to live under the circumstances, but to live in Christ who gives us the strength for each day, for each hour, for each moment sometimes, right? Christ is enough. I look at Philippians 4.19 a little later in that same passage of Scripture. Paul says, and my God will liberally supply. And the Amplified Version says, fill to the full your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need in Jesus. And ultimately, it is not something that we need to be truly happy. It's someone. It's not more of something that is going to fill the void. It's Jesus. And to overcome the myth that more will make you happy, do this. Number three, instead of seeking some uh, more of something, seek more of Jesus. It's not a what that you need, but a who that will make you lastingly happy. And, and the takeaway for today, if you forget everything else, is, is this. Lasting happiness isn't found in something. It's found in someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Lasting happiness isn't found in something. It's found in someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's why. I want to go back to that clip that we watched at the beginning. Watch it again, and then, then we'll close.
Whoa, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, I heard that too. That's it's getting less sweet all the time, but it seemed like a great clip last night when I was redoing my ending to fit this. But anyway, um, as you know by now, Forrest is a Spartan fan. Uh, he went to Michigan State. That's his team, and I'm not a football fan. I didn't even know which teams were playing yesterday, to be perfectly honest about it. I don't have a team. But after watching that clip, I wished I did. You know, I wish that was my team. Uh, that was a sweet victory, wasn't it? I mean, but there's a victory that's even sweeter and far better. And I imagine that the look on that fan's face <laughs> would capture the look on the enemy's face three days after Jesus was laid in the tomb. He thought he had won, and the victory was in the bag. And then came Sunday. Then came the resurrection. Then came the celebration, that celebration of all celebrations. Friends, if you are in Jesus Christ, your team wins. That celebration is your celebration. And whatever you're going through, no thing is going to get you through it and give you joy like Jesus. Keep seeking more of Jesus. He's the author of life. He's the source of hope. He's the joy of all joys. Let's pray. Our loving God, we, we praise you, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and for life in him, for all the promises that are ours in him, for all the ways that he's brought us through in the past and the promise that he'll carry us through in the future and help us, Lord, not to get confused about where real joy comes from. Help us never to, to seek things in place of the one and only person who can really satisfy and we pray, God, that you will give us that contentment in Christ, knowing that we belong to you, that we're a child of God, and that that's the greatest, most uh, needed thing in our life. And we turn to you this morning, God. I pray for every person here, whatever the need in their life is, that they would seek more of you and, and trust you, and that you, God, will be sufficient for every need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.